Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. We're going to talk this week about valuing people and how evangelism is much more successful, soul winning, outreach ministry is much more successful when we actually care about people. And so today I have uh, Pastor Uriah St. Just. He is the pastor of the Newcastle Multicultural Church. And we're just going to talk about this, and we want you guys to, to really be prayerful as we consider this, because as Seventh-day Adventists, we're very focused on mission, as we should be. We're very focused on our evangelistic call from God to preach the everlasting gospel. We want to win people. We want people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and that's a good thing. But sometimes we can go about the work of outreach and soul winning as if we're just doing a normal job, like where we're just dealing with machinery or objects. But people are not machines. They're biological machines, but they're not just machines. They're not just objects. They're they're souls. They have feelings, and they want to be valued. And so I just wanted to get the ball rolling in this conversation by just asking this question. So Uriah, have you ever experienced as a pastor an evangelistic effort or just ministry happening where you thought, I don't really know if we're valuing people. If this is just a job, we're just notching numbers on our belt. Have you ever experienced that? I think unfortunately, yes. And I just want to say like when Matt asked me to speak on this topic, like valuing people, I actually had to do a double take and ask Matt, are you sure I'm the right person? But after some time, I think my memory was jogged and I think it actually comes out of a conversation we had some time ago and I was sharing some of my experiences. So definitely, yes. When I first started ministry, when you're an intern, it's the proving ground. You have to prove yourself and you have to get numbers in, that kind of a thing, before you can progress through the um, various stages of ministry. And um, it's there I learned, Matt, that I was trained in a number of aspects of, of ministry and evangelism. But one thing that I was never taught was how to love people. I was taught how to give a Bible study. I was taught of how to gather interest. I was taught all of the strategies of evangelism, how to get decisions and all of that. But I was never, it never came up in my ministry training. How do you love people? Not even the concept of you have to love people. And not just generally, yeah, you love people, but like how do you actually do it and what that looks like? So very early in my ministry experience, I've had experiences. I, can, I, I remember one particular example where I had to, this was a big evangelistic series, and there was a very big evangelist, and here I was as an intern working as a Bible worker, and there was one particular guy that had decided he wanted to be baptized, but there was a little bit of a hiccup. He had dreadlocks. And it was a big no-no. You couldn't be baptized with dreadlocks. You had to cut your dreadlocks. And here I was sent to make him cut his dreadlocks. And it was a zero-fail mission. I couldn't come back and say he didn't agree. That would have meant that I wasn't really a good Bible worker, a good pastor. And I had to use every strategy to, to convince him. But it's one of the things that I felt like, wait, this is not right. Simply because in other parts of the world, that's completely okay. I remember another place not too far away where that happened where the AY leader wore dreadlocks. Another situations where like children that you're doing Bible work, you knock on a door, a child may have filled out a decision card and they're home alone and you're following up with a further decision for baptism and it's you're pressuring them, you have to get baptized and maybe 
throwing things at them that if you don't, your salvation is on the line. And just realizing that it seemed like what was more important was just the numbers. And even if that meant that we, quote unquote, abused people, that at the end, what mattered was the numbers. And that's when I just got this sinking feeling that that's not very loving. And I realized that there was a huge void that I just was not trained and it was not part of the equation and soul winning of actually loving people. So yeah, that was a big eye opener for me. That's really good. You can love people and encourage them to accept truth, but you can also encourage people to accept truth because you're concerned about your success and you're not really concerned about their will. That's exactly right. There's probably a big difference, right? If someone has a passion and love for a person and they're giving them the opportunity to make positive and good choices, that's one thing. But if a person's being ambitious and trying to lead someone at the speed of their ambition or at the expectation that's been placed upon them to, quote, succeed, then in a way, you like you, I like you. Normally, I wouldn't like the word abuse, but it, it probably fits there where it's spiritually manipulative, where you're not really taking into account the human being yep. and the way that human beings are very complicated and they have all kinds of profound like issues and challenges. And if I'm coming in like a full-on bulldozer with no sensitivity to that person, that individual, and I'm not listening to them, I'm not really hearing who they are and what they're saying, and I'm not letting them of their own free will make choices, but I'm like imposing and pushing. It really is almost like I'm, I'm creating someone into a spiritual slave. Yes. And I, I, I like it. you said it exactly right. I realized that really what I love was myself. And it's all about me proving and getting those numbers and proving that, yeah, I am ready and fit to move on to the next phase of ministry. And it was just about my success or maybe the success of, you know, those above me, that kind of a thing. And that's what I was trained to love and not necessarily love love people, love individuals, because a person, a person may not be ready. A person may not have come to the full conviction. A person may be at a point in their life, Jesus said in the parable of the sower, where the wood has fallen on stony ground or there are thorns or it's just hasn't been deeply rooted because it's just on the side of the road. It's not necessarily good soil. And being, being ready, being working with people when they are ready, I love the example of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip did Bible study with him. But he didn't really have to do much persuasion. You know, the eunuch, when he was ready, says, yeah, I'm ready. I want this. And often in our methods of evangelism, when, we've, when success looks like numbers and results look like you have a quantity of persons and numbers for decisions and baptisms or Bible studies, sometimes that's where the value and the love is and not necessarily. I got this thought when you were talking and I was saying, Lord, don't let me lose this. I don't want to forget this. And you make a good point about the seed sowing. And this is the thought that came. We can like when people do what we want while we're not liking them. So I'm not liking you. I'm not appreciating you. I'm just appreciating that you're going to do what I want you to do. And I don't like it when people take our conversation too far and they say caring about winning people means that you don't care about people. And then I would say that's not necessarily true. But what is true is, yes, we can just try to love people to the extent that they do what we want them to do. 
And that's not loving people. That's like what you're saying. It's, I'm just loving myself. I'm here. I got a job to do. If you say yes to me and to what I believe to be scriptural teachings, then I love you. You've helped me succeed. Mm -hmm. But you got some Ellen White quotes. Yeah, I think we have to have a a basis and a foundation for what we believe and what we're saying. What does loving someone look like? And on what basis do we love someone? Uh, Or valuing, because we were using the word love. And our topic today is valuing people. And maybe we're saying one of the ways we value them is to love them. But the foundation of, of valuing someone, where does the person's value come from? It's found in Genesis chapter 1, where the Bible tells us that every human being is made in the image of God. Now, that is pretty profound. When I see a person, that person's value lies in the fact that they were created by God and created by God in God's own image. And that is in itself enough. But the story of the Bible also says that uh, the human being is fallen because of sin. And here we have the double value of a human being in that one of the very famous Bible verses, John chapter 3 verse 16, says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. On top of the person's value that they are created by God in God's own image, they also redeemed by God by, through his through the blood of his own son. Not by perishable things have they been redeemed, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have to start the conversation that people have, every person, no matter how bad they are, no matter what walk of life, what status they are, every person has a tremendous double barrel value, inherent value in them. And when we see people, we must treat them with such... I almost want to use the word reverence, such respect that we understand that this is a child of God created by him in his own image and redeemed with his own blood. And uh, yeah, so I think that's the beginning of the conversation. And that should then guide what we do and how we do, how we do it in terms of leading them to Jesus. I'd like to hear what you think about this, but I was just thinking one reason why it might be hard to value people the way we should, the way that God commands us to is we might not value ourselves. And sometimes the way we treat others is a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. And I'm not one of these people who's like really big on self-help stuff, like look in the mirror and, and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. I'm not one of those guys who's big on that stuff. But I do know that the more I'm giving myself to Jesus Christ, and the more I'm connecting with God and defining my reality by how God sees things and seeing myself the way Scripture says God sees me and accepting that, the more I find myself valuing others. So I wonder to a degree if if valuing others is dependent upon us valuing ourselves, not in some egotistical sense like I'm better or I'm so great, but in it truly, genuinely accepting yourself. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, is there something to that? You're spot on, Matt, because Jesus quoted the verse that says we are to love our neighbors how? We're supposed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So if we we transpose the word value for love, which we've been doing so far in this conversation, I should value people as much as I value myself. So if I have pretty low value on myself, I'll probably have pretty low value on others as well. And again, where does my value come from? And 
the way I value myself and by extension others comes from how I understand where my value comes from. And for a Christian, it's very easy to believe that my value comes from God loving me and God accepting me if I am quote-unquote good, if I do good things. Quite recently, I preached on John 3.16, and we really dissected this verse, and we looked at the simple English grammar of the verse and looking at what it really says by just looking at it, examining it grammatically from an English point of view. And we understand that God is the, the subject of that sentence, of that verse in a simple sentence, and his action as the verb is to love. And the the nature of that love is unconditional love, which is pretty profound, so that it does not uh, depend, God's love for me and others does not depend on anything good in me or on others, and it's his nature to love. He cannot love me any less, he cannot love any others any less, neither can he love me or others any more based on what we do. Or, or don't do. And the object of God's love is the whole entire world, not just good people, not just people who are trying to be good, who or people who go to church, or people who are Christians, but everyone in the world. And so God loves me infinitely in spite of myself. And when I understand that as a Christian, therefore I can value others in the same way, so that even if I see someone who is a drug addict, someone who might be on the lower end of the socioeconomic scale, I realize that person is a child of God, loved by him infinitely and no less than someone who is pastor Matt, para, great evangelist. He doesn't love that person any less. And so I approach that person seeing that person as royalty, seeing that person as a child of God. We have prejudices, and our prejudices oftentimes cause us to see people certain ways. And it's interesting because if you, I think if I, the way that that connects to what you're saying, is that sometimes we don't value people because we don't see past our prejudice. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize that we come to every interaction with people with prejudices. And I think if we could somehow, some way, just see through our prejudices, disabuse ourselves of our prejudices, and see everyone, as, a, as you're saying, like a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, someone worth our time, someone worth our service. And when we interact with them, just take our focus and attention off of ourself, our perspective, our views, and just say, I'm going to be considerate of this person. I'm going to see this person as of value. And I'm just going to relate to them on that level. I, I, I think this way, like with church sometimes, where we're, we're not talking tons about evangelism, but I just notice this in churches sometimes, where it seems that, I just went to this one church where we had a training in the afternoon and everybody was saying that the church was a place that they were afraid to bring their friends to because they weren't sure if anyone was going to be friendly to their friends. Mm. And I had met three visitors that Sabbath. I've said this maybe on the podcast once before, but I met several visitors and we had a good conversation and we had a great talk. And, and I just made sure that I made them feel valuable. Like you're in our church. I wanted to say to them, you're very welcome here. We're so happy that you came into worship with us today. My name's Matt. Where are you? What's your name? Who, who are you? Do you? Have you ever been here before? Just asking them questions. Are you guys related? Are you family? Just talking and listening and have you been interested in God? Whatever. I was just, I don't remember what questions I asked. I was just mm-hmm. asking them questions and taking an interest in them and listening to the things that they had to say and just making sure they knew that we liked the fact that they were with us and we wanted them in our church worshiping God with us. And I'm not saying this because I think I'm great or anything, but 
I, I mentioned to the people who were saying that they were afraid of bringing friends to the church because they weren't sure if the church was going to welcome their friends. And then I said, hey, did, they, did you guys know there was a couple of visitors here today? And they said, no, we didn't we know. Didn't know. Yeah. And you see, this kind of points something out. And that was that they weren't taking responsibility individually of trying to make people welcome and valuing others. They yes. were just sitting there. They didn't realize that they could be the change that they want in the church. That's right. They were wondering. Yeah. So they were like prejudiced against their own church and saying that their own church was unfriendly and unkind, but they themselves were not going beyond their prejudices against their own church family and right. deciding that they were going to value people, yes. and that immediately the church changes and because of that. So I guess I've made two points. Number one, sometimes we don't value people the way we should because we can't see past our prejudices, and as soon as we see them, we judge them, and we sometimes then get afraid of them, or we think for example, you see someone and you think, oh, I bet that person thinks that they're a little bit holier than everybody else. Or you mentioned people of lower socioeconomic estate, right? Oh, this person must be X, Y, Z because they're poor. And the Bible says God's not a respecter of persons and we shouldn't be either. Now, in order for me, a natural, selfish, sinful person with all kinds of prejudices and bigotry in my heart, to not be a respecter of persons, I've got to fully see through my prejudices and just choose by faith to believe that person means something. And let me ask, you know, I'm going to turn the tables on you, man. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you a yes, question. Do it. Shouldn't the gospel cause us as Christians to not have those prejudices or at least reduce them Absolutely. in a certain way? And how does that work? How does my understanding of the gospel help me to remove those prejudices when I see a person? You probably should be asking me this question. I love it. When I love it. It's a good you. question. So if I say that I have prejudices and an inability to see, what I'm speaking about is in the flesh. And the Bible says that we need to crucify the flesh with its affections and lusts. And that's what I mean by seeing through it. So we walk by faith in what God says, not in what we see. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so Jesus says, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. So I'm denying myself. I'm a wicked man. And so the Bible says, forsake your thoughts and your ways and so, therefore, I judge based on what God says, and I order my life after God says, and I apply God's counsel, and I see it. That, that's what I would say. So for me personally, in my own life, I would say prejudices fall away when you die to self. And you, we have no capacity. We have no natural ability to overcome prejudice. We just transition from one prejudice to another prejudice, from one biased perspective to another biased perspective. And I don't think we can escape that because people are subjective creatures and they're subject to their view, their perspective, but their view and their perspective is limited. But the one person in the universe's view and perspective that's not limited is God's. And so if I deny myself, sacrifice myself, and follow Jesus and order my life after Jesus, now I'm living the truth and seeing truthfully. And seeing people the way God sees them. That's it. And that is what denying that self, because you're right, we all have our biases. We all have the flesh to um, wrestle against. And it's natural. You see someone and you just, oh, he's this or that. Even in the church, what if we say this person is, this is a conservative. This is a liberal. This is a that, even within spiritual Christian circles, and, and I've experienced this, I'm sure you've experienced this, so someone says, Uriah St. Just is a conservative, and then all of a sudden they know everything about you. They know what you think about everything, they know how you feel, and they almost, in a way, disregard your humanity, exactly. because they've now categorized you, and now they don't have to deal with you as an individual or value you as a human being. That person is a spiritual leader, and therefore... 
they put you in that, they pigeonhole you there. So you can't be a human there, right? And I'm just, I just want to go back to bringing it back to evangelism. It, there's this quote from Christian Service on page 119, and I just love this line. Now, the paragraph actually starts by going one way, and it, it says, Jesus saw in every soul one to whom must be given the call to his kingdom. We may look at this, and it's what I see, every soul that has a potential candidate for the kingdom of God, for heaven. But that doesn't mean right away I must go up to you with a Bible verse and say, you must be born again, you need to change your life. Because lower down, it actually says that he, referring to Jesus, he met them at their daily vocations and manifested an interest in their secular affairs. That aspect of it, brother, just really blew me away because that's what Jesus did first when he's all about valuing people you meet a guy who is a mechanic, he runs a mechanic shop. Before you get into the Bible study, you just find out how his business is going. You meet a single mom, you find out how she's going handling, raising kids, how are the kids doing, what are some of the struggles, like just that. You plant yourself, you park yourself there, interested in their secular affairs. And that is a springboard for... The blueprint, as we say, for evangelism, which we find from Ministry of Healing, um, page 143, as we often label oh, that, it as yeah. Adventist Christ method alone. Yes. And the very first thing that, you know, Ellen White counsels us is that Jesus mingled with men as one who desired their good, not our good. You see every person, and when he says that he saw every soul um, that must be given the call to his kingdom, doesn't mean as soon as you see someone, the first thing you think of, I need to get them into the font. It's, oh, brother, put the brakes on. Before you get there, find out, park yourself at where the person is at. Value there where they are at. Value about, you know, take an interest in their actual physical state, you know, their mental state, and operate in a way that will be good for the person, not good for yourself, not good because you just want to get the numbers. And that is extremely tremendous. And that is why the church, we sometimes as Seventh-day Adventists, one of the good things that, or one of the things that we're really good at is needs-based evangelism. When we realize that when we start the conversation from the point of view of, of what is needed for the person or what is needed for the community, rather than what we think they need because everyone needs the gospel everyone needs to be saved everyone needs to give their heart to jesus and be baptized but at the moment when you have that first interaction with the individual they may not see that they may have other needs which and that's what jesus did he planted himself he parked himself there at what in what was good for the person and that's how he slowly and way at the end it says then he bid them follow follow me so i think that's an important part of the formula of valuing people, taking an interest in where they are, what's going on in their lives, what are the things that are important to them, why are they hurting, and address those needs first, make them feel important, make them, you know, what they are going through as important rather than putting a, a tract or steps to Christ in front of them at first or telling them, hey, the world's coming to an end. Interestingly, I had a conversation with a lady just today, and she describes herself, she identifies as spiritual, not religious, and she gave me a very horrible experience of when she was a child being invited to a Sunday school, 
And it traumatized her because all she was told is that the world's coming into an, to an end and you're going to burn in hell and then you need to get your family into the church and stuff because if you don't, they're going to burn in hell. And it traumatized her to the point as a child, as a nine-year-old, where she needed to see a psychologist and be on medication. And that has really tainted an, her image of the church. And that's why, unfortunately, a lot of people sometimes identify as spiritual because the church for them, it's just, uh, it scarred them. And that's what not valuing people looks like when we, we put a doctrine and, and presenting a doctrine in a particular way because we feel the need is urgent. And who could have felt the need to be more urgent than Jesus himself? And that's not where he started the conversation. And we need to take a page out of Jesus's book. It's a good point that you make. If I am trying to spiritually minister to someone, but I don't know who they are, how they feel, how they see the world, it's very difficult for me to do that appropriately. So it's almost like I need to, to find the way or the path to delivering the gospel to this individual, but they are an individual. They are a person with a personality, with viewpoints and perspectives and experiences. And the more I, I get familiar with that, the more capable I am of presenting the gospel to them in a way that's going to make sense to them, that's going to register with them. And I was thinking as you spoke, if I fail to even try to get to know someone as a person, and I'm not interested in this, because really what you've said is be interested in people. Take a genuine interest in them as a person. That's what valuing they're experiencing. them, that's yes, what right. valuing them that's looks right. like. That's right. And if I don't do that, I'm not valuing them, and I'm not valuing them as a human being. I'm treating them as an object. Yes. I want to tell a quick story, and, and I'll give you the final word because we're coming to an end here, but Sharice and I lived in Detroit, Michigan, and there was a young girl who went to church in our church, and she was a very insecure teenager, and she always did things that would perturb people, and she did it on purpose. She was just, I don't know how to be uh, diplomatic in my speech here, so I'll just say she was someone who was a bit annoying. She just carried herself in a way that was off-putting to a lot of people, and I wasn't terribly interested in getting to know this particular girl. At the time, I spent a lot of time in youth ministry circles, and I, sp I was ministering to the kids in the church. I wasn't mean to the girl, or I didn't act standoffishly towards her. But I, in my heart, like in my heart, I did not really feel like super attracted to this young teenage girl. As a person, I didn't enjoy my time around her. I wasn't feeling, quote, valuing her and taking an interest in her and these kinds of things. And I'm just confessing what was in my heart. My actions, I think I, I acted quite appropriately towards this girl. And if I ever told her what I'm saying now, she'd be like, really? That's how you felt? I'm pretty confident. Let's hope she doesn't hear this. But she won't know who she is because there's lots of girls in, in Detroit who, you know, they're in our church. Sharice, yeah. though, for some reason, she just really just loved this kid. And she would always come home and tell me, this girl's got so much potential and she's so smart like this. And I had this interaction with her and this is what I saw in her. And she would just really sell the girl. And I always thought, I think highly of Sharice. I think she is a good judge of character. I think she really, I don't know how to say this, but I love my wife and I think she's smart. She's intelligent and she's, and what she likes, I end up liking. So I found myself because of my interactions with Sharice and Sharice's perspective about this girl changing my perspective. So it was almost like the more I allowed myself to focus on how Sharice felt about this girl, the better I felt about this girl myself. And I see in this like an analogy, right? Like God sees people, as we were saying before, a certain way. And 
the more we're interacting with God, the more that's going to that's going to catch we're going to catch that disposition is going to be contagious. We're going to catch that disposition. Yeah. yeah, it's going to and I think that to me is a really interesting object lesson cuz I legitimately could say that girl no longer annoyed me. I, I saw what my wife saw because I was interacting with my wife and my wife was sharing with me how she felt about the girl. The more we interact with God's word, yes. the more we see how God values humanity. And if we value God, then we'll value what he values, yes. people. And that's what the whole Bible story is about. It, yes. it's the lesson of the Bible is how much God values people, how much God loves us. And that's the story of the gospel. And when we understand it fully to ourselves and apply it to ourselves, we begin to change the way we see ourselves. We understand fully how much God values us. And then, like you said, it will affect, it will change how we see others. I just want to share another aspect quickly, just how I believe we can value people in evangelism. What happens to the people on our list that stop coming to the meetings or probably did not sign up for baptism? If we really value them, what do we do? We just drop them, we forget them. Or even those who get baptized. A lot of the times, the challenge with us in ministry is we focus a lot of attention on someone when they are interested, when you know they're doing the studies, when they're interested in Bible study. But as soon as that is finished and they're baptized, we can drop them like a hot potato to move on to the next, <laughs> the next set of people. And it can really happen. I remember a lady literally not knowing, not understanding. And when I visited her, she was like, she had been baptized, I think, the year before. And I, when I took over this church, and she couldn't understand. The pastor was at her house every week and showing so much interest in her. And she got baptized, and then all of a sudden that just stopped, and no one visited her. And she expected church members to be you know, visiting her every week, and the pastor to be doing so as well. If we really value people, I think the real challenge is those who say, no, I'm not interested in Bible study, I'm not, I don't think this is for me, that we keep that interest, we keep loving, we keep being interested in their secular affairs and not just see it as a waste of time because they're not interested. That's the real challenge, and that really shows how much on an individual basis and even the community as a church institutionally, how much value we place on the communities which God has called us to to serve it. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, everyone, thank you so much for, for joining this conversation. I really pray that God would help us and me value people the way that he values people. And something that I've personally taken away from this conversation, guys, is that it, it really is cruel to proclaim the gospel while at the same time having no real care for the people that we're proclaiming it to. There's a mixed messaging there. And really, to a degree, that's a misrepresentation of God because when he sent his son, he sent Jesus because he actually valued people. And may God give us the love that he has for people and may he give us his perspective so that our evangelism will truly be successful and people will really feel that we told them the truth because we cared for them. God bless you guys as you continue to follow Jesus and, and minister in his name. We look forward to seeing you next week. Take care.